0: you say teenager i say toddler 2 longtime friends in different seasons of parenting process the past while dealing with the craziness of today enjoy welcome back everybody to you say teenager i say toddler teenager
1: toddler teenager toddler
0: we didn't rehearse whether or not you were going to do that. Um, today's oh. a super special day because we have guests on, and um, we may have just scared them off with the little chant that <laughs> Kurt just did. But um, no, n-
1: now they're golden. Now they're in for sure. You're committed
0: now, <laughs> ladies. It's you don't have a choice anymore.
2: Well, I want to add some choreography to it, so you know.
1: Oh, I like you already. To cheer!
2: We need to cheer properly.
0: And if anybody can add some choreography, it's Julie. And we'll get to that in just a second. (laughs) So, okay. So the last time that we were talking, Kurt and I got into a discussion in particular about teenagers and what kind of clothing they wear and stuff. We got super confused. We didn't know what Uh... to think. We, We acknowledged the fact that we were both raised very conservatively. And I was like, you know what? This is like the blind leading the blind. We have no clue what we're doing in this realm. We've got to get some professional help. So I reached out to a friend of mine, uh, Julie Spears, who uh, is a psychologist, but I'm going to let her her tell us what her... Her background is in and all that good stuff because I know I'm going to butcher it, but we've known each other for a few years now, and I knew that she was involved in a lot of topics that are really relevant uh, to parents that have teenagers, and that maybe she would be a resource for us. And so she brought in her partner as well, Angela Funk. And so uh, first off, I just wanted to check in with you ladies, have you introduce yourselves and tell us how things have been going. Julie, why don't you start us off?
2: Okay, great. Um, I'm Julie Spears. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, Um, so that is my background, and I work in South Austin. Angela and I share an office, which is really exciting. We've been doing that for the last year, and I work uh, primarily with adults on mental health issues and empowering women, and I am really excited to work with Angela. Specifically, we work with teenagers in teaching sex ed which is why we're here and we're going to talk to you more about that. Um, and I've been doing doing okay. You know, I just woke up my teenager at 1 p.m. They were still sleeping um, to tell them that school is delayed for four weeks. So um, they were excited about that. So yeah, we can continue this crazy inappropriate sleep schedule um, for longer. Um, so anyway, that's what's going on at my house.
0: Yeah, just to interject there. Uh, so Austin ISD just voted last night. Or I guess this morning because it was like two three a.m. <laughs> at three a.m. when the vote finally went through to suspend or delay classes, I should say, for an additional three weeks. So our
1: oh, party, mm-hmm, oh wow, will not be
0: going back till September eighth, and at that time they will have a an option for in person online learning. And so um, the turnaround for all of that was really kind of disconcerting. So are you happy about that, Julie? Are you happy that they're delaying? Um,
2: No, I don't like any more disruption. It's really hard to not be able to plan my life. Um, I do understand that kids have different needs. So from what I'm understanding, it was going to be virtual at first. So it doesn't, it wouldn't have impacted us because we were going to be virtual, but I think what they were wanting was some kids needed to go in person right away. Right. So, um, I'm trying to think about what's good for everyone. And it's, you know, it's a blip in what's going on in our lives. We're luckily and fortunate and privileged to be able to work from home. Um, but for a planner and somebody who needs something to be able to plan, and know what's happening, it's really hard and it just feels like yet another another loss of like something I could plan for. But we'll be okay. We'll
1: oh wow. It. That's um that really alters things. I, I know here in Los Angeles, uh they determined that Babs will be back on the eighteenth virtually. Mm-hmm. Um and that was devastating news. I mean, we kind of knew, but we we're holding out hope. But, um, you know, fingers crossed, like I'm very hopeful for like late fall, but it kind of says the earliest, you know, the experts say the earliest in Los Angeles, probably January. Wow. And she's a junior, you know, yeah. she. I mean, fortunately, she's not a senior. She's got a lot of friends that are seniors. I mean, look, we're healthy and I'm able to work from home, but we're driving each other crazy. I miss <laughs> getting up at five, dropping her off at the bus at 630 and having like normalcy. I, yeah. Julie, I hear you. Like I, I, you know, it's just an alternate universe. I feel like we're living in, in a way.
2: <laughs> yeah. And we need breaks from our kids and, <laughs> our, and our partners and each other.
1: <laughs> yes. Breaks. <laughs> so we can talk more about that.
0: <laughs>
1: yes.
0: Okay. Angela, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background.
3: Um, Yeah, so I am a licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas, an office out of the same location as Julie, which has been a wonderful change for us when we uh, joined our offices in that way. And I work with adolescents and adults, and my specialties are relationships, trauma, and communication. So I work on a lot of these topics that we're you know, talking about here uh, on your podcast and, and with lots of people that have questions all the time, of course that stuff comes up regularly. Um, and as Julie said, we, we branched out into providing this sexual education element for adolescents because we've found that so many of them have questions on that. You know, our generation didn't get a lot of the same opportunity to talk about things. You know, sex education was very limited uh, at that time period. And so for them to be able to talk about things like consent and appropriateness and how do we communicate with one another? Like those are just new topics for, you know, Both us as a parenting generation and then for our kids. And, you know, Kurt, you mentioned that your daughter's a junior, mine is too. And she's having a lot of the same things go on. She would love to be back there with all her friends and, you know, same boat, her friends, some of her friends are seniors and they're really concerned about missing some of those just great things that go on junior and senior year. Um, Absolutely. it's just one of those things we're kind of trying to roll with as it comes along. And then we also have a 12 year old who is going into seventh grade. And he's the one that like, Julie, you said that yours is sleeping till one. Well, uh, earlier this week, he slept until 630 when I got home to make dinner. (laughs) so uh, (laughs) uh, That was a bit of a stretch. We had to have a little conversation about like, hey, like, Maybe let's shoot for noon or one o'clock, two o'clock. <laughs> like, so I think you know, getting back to some kind of normal is going to be a little bit more of a journey uh, with that that element of in our lives. So wow,
0: that six thirty oh, wow. wake up time. That's what I yeah. just said. wow. <laughs> Damn,
1: and I wow, yeah, that's that's a record. Kudos, kiddo. Yeah, I don't know, right, really. <laughs> ladies. I don't. I don't know about you. And like, I guess we can all kind of, if you feel this way, but sometimes I'm like, okay, it's good. She's sleeping. I can get stuff done. But also I know like, Ooh, she should be getting up. So it's kind of like a balance for me. (laughs) It's kind of like, well, it's quiet. I can do stuff. (laughs) I don't know if you guys feel that way. You ladies feel that way as well.
3: I do. Yeah. And and it's hard because uh, both my husband and I have been coming to my office to work so that we have a little bit more room and space to make phone calls and, you know, Zoom meetings and things. Um, So we aren't home all day, but our kids are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's always a struggle then of how much, like, do I pop home and see if they're actually awake and doing things or (laughs) do I just let that happen?
0: And (laughs) they'll figure it out eventually. They'll figure Um, out eventually that they have to get up at a reasonable hour if they want to make money and, you know, buy food.
1: Oh my goodness. The life we're living right now. (laughs) Who would have thought?
0: (laughs) So Julie, whenever I reached out to you after Kurt and I had had this conversation where we realized that we were um, not in the least bit qualified to discuss anything (laughs) regarding this topic, you told me a lot about the program that you have with teenagers. Um, And I think you mentioned like it was like a six to eight week program on human sexuality. I'm probably uh, paraphrasing a little bit too much, but can you talk to us a little bit about that program and how you guys work through certain things or what topics you approach with the kids?
2: So our program can be geared to what works best for for families. Right now, we're looking at doing a virtual program in the fall we're thinking about breaking it. We like to not do too much, especially when it's online. You know, it's hard to do it three hours. What we've done in the past are two, three hour days um, on a Saturday, but in person uh, is different from online. So online would probably look maybe like three or four weeks for an hour and a half. And what's really cool is that it's a very interactive program. So we watch videos, we play games, we, um, have some hands-on things to so we'll have to be creative and mail things out. But we're not just talking about physiology and anatomy. You know, we talk about puberty, we talk about those things, but we're also talking about assertive communication. We're talking about consent. Consent looks like verbal as well as nonverbal. We're talking about LGBTQ and sexual orientation. We're talking about gender fluidity. We're talking about how to treat one another with respect. So, there's so much that goes into it when we're talking about human sexuality that I think a lot of people just get stuck on um, sex ed being about anatomy, physiology, and birth control, you know? But there's so much more to it. Angela, what would you add?
3: Yeah, I think it's about also our relationship with ourselves and then with the other people around us. So, you know, both thinking about how we see ourselves, our self-esteem, our self-identity, but then also how do we communicate with people around us because there's more to a relationship than just understanding sexuality and sex ed, but also this communication relationship elements that again, we just don't get a lot of training in you know when we're growing up.
0: about how old are the students that you take on usually? They're usually middle school age. It's usually you know
3: somewhere between most common is like seven to ninth graders. And we've had some as young as the sixth graders, but it's really a parent's sort of judgment at that point to see if they're mature enough to figure um, into that type of language and learning at that level.
0: About how many kids are usually in, in a group as well?
3: Usually between, I would say, five to 10 or 12, we don't want to have too big of a group so that there's enough opportunity for them to get and feel like they're heard. Um, but you know, we want to have a few kids though, so that they can work together and really share ideas about their learning too. Okay.
0: Do 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 you 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 find, sorry. Um, let me ask you one more question and then I'll let Kurt talk. I promise. Um, do you find that the students are there because their parents prodded them to be there and maybe at first they're kind of reticent or do you find that it's kind of the students pushing the parents like I, no I want to do this.
3: <laughs> We've had a real mix of students. Yeah. Like it's some of them are, I don't want to be here at all. Don't talk to me. I don't want to be like seen or heard. Um I'm only doing this because of my parents. And some of the kids are ready to jump in and like this is what like, they've been looking for some information and ask some questions. And so it really varies from kid to kid. Yeah, I will
2: tell you, um, often you will get kids if you ask them, do you want to take a sex ed class? Their answer is going to be no. I mean, oh, my God, how uncomfortable. Um, so what I did with my kid is I said, hey, you're going to be going to this class. Um, do you want to bring a friend or not? <laughs> so that was the option. you know. And, of course, I didn't teach my own kid because they would be mortified. I, I sent them to another class. But, uh, of course, Angela's kid was happy to come to our class. So oh, yeah. <laughs> what what we have experienced is some some kids have to be prodded and encouraged, but we always do a survey at the end. And every kid has said that they would recommend a friend coming to our class and that they did find it fun. Um, so, you know, once you get in there and we kind of we're, we're wanting to destigmatize all of this. What we're finding is. Once kids, we can destigmatize these topics, then you're opening up that communication where they can talk about this kind of stuff with their parents. We're giving them information to make informed decisions, and then we want to leave it up to the parents to instill what their values are. You know, we're not instilling those values. We're saying, here's the information, here's how to communicate, here's some things to think about. And then the parents can also join in and reiterate those things and then instill their values.
0: what were you going to ask?
1: Oh, I was going to ask, do you do gender specific classes or do you mix gender all in the same class? How does that work?
3: Well, we have done gender specific classes, but there are is the opportunity to do mixed gender classes. So the training that we use originally is based on a training called Unhushed. And they do mixed gender classes all the time at at middle schools here in town. And they found that it really works well. Um, We found that there are benefits and disadvantages to both. Um, and so, you know, thinking of this opportunity to learn in an environment where, you know, gender isn't even sort of an issue that can be really helpful that everybody's on the same playing field. But also then there are opportunities where, um, just given the society that we live in and still grow up in, like it's sometimes easier to speak in a single gender classroom setting.
1: Okay. Yeah, I was just curious how they reacted together with, you know, with the sex ed. I know growing up, you know, like like you had mentioned that sex ed, it was very different. I went to a Catholic school and all the boys once a year were pulled into a classroom with a doctor and the girls were pulled into a classroom with a nurse. And then, of course, we all like were like mortified or excited for like a couple of hours, you know, mixed Then we'd gossip and like mix up all the stories for a few days, of course. So I was just curious how that how that works now in the modern day.
2: The thinking behind the mixed gender is uh, giving them the opportunity to have those conversations so it's not so awkward when you're having them in real life, right? right. So we practice asking each other out, saying yes, saying no. Uh, we practice learning how to communicate assertively. So if you can do that in mixed gender in a classroom setting, then that would be great outside. And whether we're doing a mixed or same gender Uh, they're getting the same information. So we break out pads and tampons and we talk about periods and we let the boys dip the tampon in the water to see how it works. And we talk about, all right, so a tampon falls in the hallway from your friend's backpack. What do you do with that? How do you handle that? Do you throw it to your buddy down the hall or do you, you know, quietly put it in the trash can or, you know, how do you handle that? So we want to destigmatize these things and let them really, learn and understand each other what's going on in all of the bodies so i don't want boys to only learn about boys bodies and girls to only learn about girls bodies
1: oh wow i love this um mm-hmm. how so how long have you been doing this for these groups
3: a little over a year right julie Something. yeah yeah
1: okay this is a really good thing you have going on I, I love it um do you ladies obviously i i guess you work with teens of all ages do you do anything for the older kids or do you recommend just putting them in in that group as well? Yeah. Like a 16-year-old, 16, 16 to 18. Yeah.
3: Absolutely.
2: They, you know, and we've even talked about doing a, a version of this for college students. I've had college students say, I want to take this class. So yeah, absolutely. The teenagers can. We would just be mindful. We may not want to put um, a sixth grader with a 12th grader, you know, so we would be mindful of setting up those, those things. Um, but yeah, 16-year-olds could absolutely benefit.
0: So mostly you've been doing this in South Austin, correct? Where your office is. In Austin, yes. And we can go to parents' houses.
2: Well, we used to pre-COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> organize what we what we did with one group was there we talked to a PTA and one of the moms had her son and a group of his friends and they all came over. And they jumped on the trampoline and and ate pizza, and then we would come in and do our class. So the boys got all their energy out, which is good for middle school boys. Um, But all the boys knew each other. We came into a house, and a home setting, so they felt more comfortable. We've also done it in a classroom setting and made it open to the public where anybody could sign their child up. So we're flexible in how we can do this, depending on what's best for the parents.
0: And now that we're in the middle of COVID, I guess there's a possibility for you guys to spread this even further. If you're doing online sessions, I guess people from, from other, other states could sign up for it.
2: Yes. Now we
0: are holding worldwide sex training. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone global. We've gone global. <laughs> Grew our business in the middle of a pandemic. Way to
1: go! <laughs> you know that's one of the silver linings um, of this pandemic, and and I love how you can reach more people um, this way—people that normally wouldn't have access to this. This is great. Mm-hmm. Have you ladies been seeing? Um, would you say that your patient load, or your client load, is? I don't. I'm sorry. I don't know if refer to it as patients or clients. Clients. Um, <laughs> clients. That's right. Um, <laughs> Do you, has it been about the same? Um, Do you, have you picked up more? Have you helping more people? Because mental health during this is greatly affected from what I understand.
3: There's definitely a high need right now. Both Julie and I stay pretty full all the time with our practice. And so it's hard to just take on more clients. I would say that I only lost maybe, maybe two clients that just weren't comfortable with continuing therapy during the pandemic for various reasons. But then I've picked up a couple of new ones, as well as I've had clients come back to me who were, you know, had been previous clients over the past several years that called me up and said, Hey, I'm just really struggling with this. Can we have a few more sessions again? And that's been a nice opportunity to still be able to provide like a continued care, even though we're doing, you know, this virtual piece or, you know, distance um, opportunities for all of them. And the nice thing about it is some, some of mine have been even adolescents that have been off in college, like in Corpus Christi or other parts of the state, but I'm still able now to provide care for them, even though they haven't come back home to Austin, because that's something that we wouldn't have necessarily been set up to do beforehand.
0: That's really awesome. So, okay, toggling back to the conversation that started all of this. (laughs)
1: <laughs> um what conversation i don't remember without, with,
0: <laughs> without putting her on blast too much um you know Kurt's struggling with this teenage daughter and i struggle this with this as an educator we really struggle with this idea of clothing and of course it's always what clothing the girls are wearing nobody's ever worrying about the clothes that <laughs> the boys wear but we struggle with clothing what's appropriate what's not when and where and that sort of thing. And we, we're just kind of coming to this place where we're just like, we don't know the difference between it's just our conservative upbringing uh-huh. or it's a valid point to make. We have no oh, clue anymore. Yes.
1: We're So help us. We weird, are weird, weird drowning. Um, <laughs> I consider myself a very liberal, you know, gay dad. I thought, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so out there. But all of a sudden when it comes to like clothing that Babs is wearing or matters regarding sex or other things, I just feel like I my conservative roots come back mm-hmm. by the patterns in which I was raised in and, and, and the way that I was raised. So, you know, Leanne and I also went to high school in the 90s and what Babs and her friends are wearing, that just was not acceptable, but now it's acceptable. So, you know, I mean I could give some specifics the don't. situations that have come up. No.
0: Don't daddy. <laughs> don't give no. specifics. no.
2: Yeah. We wanna we wanna keep that confidential, but we we get it. We get it. We have teens and we have TVs, so
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think the first thing Kurt, I wanna tell you is what not to do. Okay. Please, please, please don't be that dad that wears Daisy Dukes to Walmart to humiliate your
1: kid. Oh, wow. Yeah. That won't happen. No worries. <laughs> 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 I've is seen that, that.
2: Oh yeah. You, you haven't seen that online. Oh yes. That's the thing is parents say, try to make a point and you wouldn't want me to wear it. So you don't wear it. Um, So we don't want to do that. Shame is not the answer, but I do, you know, I love where you guys are coming from because you're, you're checking yourself. You know, you're not just reacting. You're wanting to be intentional. And, and that's the first thing we want to do is we want to say, okay, let me check where's this coming from. Right. So am I projecting, did I have experiences growing up? You know, my, my growing up is very confusing because I grew up in a conservative um, Southern Baptist world, but I also had this snazzy mama that said, if you got it, flaunt it. <laughs> so that's really confusing to have both of those. Um, So I think the first thing is to kind of just check in with yourself and say, where is this coming from? Is this coming from my growing up? Did I have a bad experience? And then um, ask some questions. I'm going to hand this over to Angela because I'll tell you my personal experience is my kid is the one that wears hoodies year round. And I'm like, please show some skin. Uh, (laughs) You're going to die. It's 105. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to kick this
3: one over to Angela for the next steps. Yeah. So I really do think it becomes a conversation, you know, conversations with our kids are so important because we want them to be learning from us, not just be given like rules that have no definition. And, you know, we want them to be starting to make good choices, not in just individual episodes, too. You know, it's not about, you know, you just can't wear that crop top. It's, you know, hey, what does this mean? Like, and that starts with asking them, like, why do you want to wear this? Like, how does it make you feel? Is this about confidence? Is this about fitting in because your friends are wearing this? Where does the motivation for whatever this this article of clothing or this way of style, where does it come from? And, you know, listen to your kids, because I think that's where we start to challenge and push back on those ideas from ourselves that we have, you know, this just being wrong or it's not appropriate or whatever, you know, our backgrounds are. We carry all that with us, but our kids don't have that same thing holding them back, but they also don't have decades of experience. Being in society, either. And so, helping them kind of learn how to make informed decisions is an important part of that process. We want them to be realizing that there are inappropriate places to wear things. You know, you wouldn't wear flip flops to go to a job interview, you wouldn't, you know, wear your swimsuit to go to your grandmother's funeral. You know, we have to think about the appropriateness of stuff. And I think about it the same way that I approach cursing or foul language in my house. You know, those words have power in our society, but they're not necessarily bad words, so to speak. They're just words that come out. And I get that there are a lot of places that you end up using them. They show emphasis, they show connection with our peers. And yet my daughter, I always let her know that She is able to use those words if she knows when and where to use them. You know, this is not going to grandma's house and being able to say any (laughs) word that comes out of your mouth because that's not appropriate. It's not appropriate to use them at at teachers in school or around teachers in school. And so, you know, if she can make good choices with her language, with the things she wears, with how she communicates, then I'm trusting her to do that. And, And by trusting her, I'm giving her the power to start making and learning how to make those decisions. And we do, we, we course correct all the time. You know, I notice things that are slip ups and I say, hey, you know, that word came out when you were around your grandparents, let's tone that back or be careful. Or, you know, she'll put on an, an, outfit that she thinks is great. And I'll have to remind her, Hey, you know what, today we are, you know, you're going to be at my office, maybe around some of my clients or today, you know, you're going to actually have to go to school and wear your uniform or, you know, what are these pieces that have, and how do we think about it? And and I encourage her to go back and say like, okay, so I know that that looks great. And that's what you want to wear. And that's cool. And another situation maybe, but today I think we need to rethink that. And so, you know, we're, we're having conversations all the time about how to make those choices.
0: What do you say, or or does she ever, or what do you say to a student? I'm sorry, going back Mm -hmm. to my teacher roots. What do you say to your child if their rebuttal is, but you're shaming me or you're sexualizing me, or we shouldn't be worried about what other people think?
3: Yeah. And that's hard. I think that's part of that adolescent brain, right? that time period in our life, they are constantly trying to push boundaries and authority. And so a lot of times it's going to feel like that to them, even when that's not your intention. And that's when I think it takes a little bit more conversation within that, like, hey, I'm helping you learn. I understand why it feels that way. But, you know, it is really about keeping, you know, things appropriate and safe in ways that just fit within the boundaries of our society. And, you know, I like in that way of having sort of a simple set of rules to stick by. It's, you know, well, maybe I don't want to see your underwear outside your clothing at any point, like sticking out in some place, you know, but working within those bounds, then if this is the bare minimum of, I can't have these things happen. If you want to leave the house, I, I really need this to be okay for my sense of well-being as a parent and then give them the, the boundaries around that. But if you want to wear whatever top you want to wear out of your, your closet, great pick that out and let's, let's run with that. And I think by handing them pieces of control, that helps with that pushback piece. You know, it's not about just telling them what they can or can't wear. It's saying, you know, you can wear what you want within these sort of boundaries that I've given you. And that's about helping their adolescent brain learn why those boundaries exist and then giving them more choices that they, that you feel are acceptable within those boundaries.
2: Right. And it is like a skirt or short length. It might be like, oh, you know, I don't want if you have to bend over or if you're dancing, I don't want to accidentally see your underwear. So, you know, let's think about the length without it being about sexuality, without it being shaming and just, you know, more matter of fact. I'm just like, you know, I just want to make sure if you have to bend over that no one's going to see things you don't want them to see.
0: Do you feel like it's in the same vein? Because for me, I'm I'm struggling as an educator and it seems like the dress code changes every year and the verbiage or the conversations around dress coding girls or boys, for that matter, just dress coding teens in general seems to be transitioning. And it's also, you know, inconsistent in a lot of situations. I, I don't know. How do we talk to our students, in particular, our female students, without shaming them, especially because they're not our kid. So I can't, I can't place any values on them. It's not my role to do that. Yeah. Well, I mean,
2: I think the hard part is at the administrative level of what they're choosing to set the rules. You know, I think for you in your position, it might be easier to just, it'd be more matter of fact, just be like, you know, sorry that, you know, that's what the rule is, you know, instead of it being like, well, I mean, you're going to be tempting these young boys. I mean,
0: (laughs) for the record, I've never said that. Okay.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. But I do know that purity culture movement that came out in the nineties. Luckily, I think I escaped that, but that was a lot of that of girls are responsible for boys actions. And that is, you know, that perpetuates rape culture of feeling like we're responsible for what other people do. And we definitely don't want to do that. And of course you don't do that, but, you know, for me, I think it's just very matter of fact, like, sorry, that's what the rule is. Um, It's not like you're creating a rule. You're just enforcing a rule that's already been there. So, you know, I think for me, I would just encourage you to be matter of fact. I don't know, Angela, if you have any.
3: Yeah, I agree. I I know it's challenging because like you said, Leanne, like those rules keep changing every year. And I really appreciate that they are because I think a lot of schools are really starting to back away from the very like gender specific instructions of girls can't wear spaghetti straps or girls can't, you know, do X or show their midriffs or whatever. Because that really did go into that realm of, of only leaving the explanation that it was because of this sexuality piece. And when they have backed away from that, even though it may be harder to interpret those rules sometimes, it actually makes it much easier, I think, for educators to simply be, well, is it on this list of, you know, five things that the school gave me? If not, then that's not a place for you to have to step in and, you know, try to enforce those things because that becomes more of, of those judgments that we pick up from our own ideas and backgrounds.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: That makes it a lot easier. Kurt, did you have questions? Cause I know this is kind of. A... Uh,
1: oh no, this is, this is, this is really great info. Um, and I love, you know, the whole course, correct. I feel like I do that all day long. <laughs> 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 like everything. Um, it was interesting what you said about sort of the, something that goes back to, I think my conservative upbringing, that girls are responsible for boys behavior, you know, that, Oh, that's not acceptable. That's kind of where I'm struggling I worry, you know, here in in Los Angeles, if Babs, you know, prior to this, COVID, is going out with friends to places and I'm not going to be around her. And I feel that she's dressed uh, not appropriately. That's when like conversations have come up and she feels like I'm shaming her or she feels like, you know, it's sexualizing her. And, you know, the feedback that I get from her is that regardless of what she wears, she's going to get catcalled. That's how she looks at it, that she's not responsible for that. This is her body. She's proud of it. And I listen, I, I don't have someone to bounce this back on a partner. It's just me. I don't know. This is where we have a lot of disagreements when it comes to this. What would you guys, ladies, suggest?
3: Kurt, I think your concerns are valid. I mean, we live in a world where as adults, we've experienced a lot of those things. We've seen it happen to our friends or families or ourselves in many ways. And I do think there's a way to approach our kids and let them know your concerns without trying to say that 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 becomes what the rule is. So, you know, that's where that conversation really plays in of like, Hey, I, you know, I, I really love that you feel confident in this. I have to just tell you my concerns so that when you go out, you're making a decision for yourself and we have to start trusting our kids to, 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 start incorporating some of that stuff. And it's a hard balance as a parent because so many times we're watching our kids make choices that we just think, oh my God, I know this is like the fire starting, you know, to burn the house down. And and we just have to sit back occasionally. I mean, there are definitely times as parents, we know we need to jump in and there are sometimes we need to let them take some of those sort of small risks because that's how the adolescent brain learns. They have to almost do a, like a little too far in order to come back and say, okay, yeah, you know what, that maybe wasn't the right choice this time. And if we can do that in little ways that are still safe for us, you know, for the m- most part, then I think that's an important part of their learning.
1: Okay. Right. I get that, and I, and I want her to feel confident. I want her to feel beautiful. Um, you know, it just we were it, it, we were headed to the beach a few days ago. Um, a friend that we quarantined with, uh, uh, Babs, and, and they had their bikini tops on and some bottoms. And we there was this like outdoor mall that was serving like boba, and there was an, the bar that they moved outside next door. And you know, Babs and her friend they were just like really upset that these guys were catcalling them as they were wa- or whistling. And I didn't know what to say to that. I didn't want to be like, well, you are wearing your <laughs> bikini top out at the outdoor mall. You know, I, I just feel like I really need to watch my words.
3: You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. You have to bite your tongue, I think. I mean, that's, again, that was not Babs's problem that was these guys you know catcalling them and really it was their issue that they were then imposing on your daughter and i think that again that's just one of those things how do we instead teach them how to communicate when stuff like that happens yes. you know is it enough to call and say you know you hear this catcalling and be like hey dudes that's not okay you need to stop doing that you know in in order to start helping those people that you know the men or whoever that are catcalling understand that that's not appropriate no matter what i'm wearing mm-hmm. for you to be doing that to me
0: and for the record i've been running in the mornings on the sidewalk and i keep getting honked at and yelled at from the window it doesn't change apparently no matter how old you are <laughs> and I'm covered like I'm wearing long leggings and a, you know, a t-shirt and stuff like that. And they're still doing that. And it's so uncomfortable. And Aww. I also would like to know when has that ever worked? When has any relationship ever been <laughs> of someone honking at a woman who's going on a run?
2: I think yeah. there's a woman on there's a <laughs> look it up. There's a woman on YouTube who, who videos herself. Every time she's cat called, she walks up to the guy and is like, okay, what's up? And they're like, Oh, oh well, I don't know what to do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> love it, love it. Well, ladies, you brought up a good point. Um, just educating my daughter. You know, she's here with me at least two more years. She's planning to head off to school. You know, when when someone cat calls them, when someone whistles, I, what do you recommend? Like, don't engage, ignore it. You know, that's the thing. I don't want um, any 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 advice here. <laughs>
3: I think there has to be an evaluation almost each time because like there are certainly times when the best thing, like if if you're alone, the best thing is to not engage, keep moving, don't even like, you know, pay attention to it all. But there are times when, you know, if you're with a friend or you're with, you know, somebody else that, you know, you guys feel safe or the location feels safe enough, you can turn around and tell somebody that's not appropriate and really just, uh, you know, make your statement set them in their place and then move on and just keep on walking and ignore anything else. Um, And I think that too often we have taken the route of just putting our head down and not saying anything. And that's what some of this continues to happen over and over again. But if we are in a situation where it feels safe enough to really like stand up for ourselves and just advocate, I think that that can be a really important part of that process.
1: This is helpful. Okay. Thank you. Just want to, I just, you know, want to add as many tools to that toolbox before it closes in two years, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's not
2: going to close. It's always oh. going to be her parents. Oh, yeah. Yes. Always. Yes. Always. And yes. the more that you can have these open lines of communication, the more she's going to come to you in her twenties and thirties.
1: Yeah, I agree. Yes, I, I, I still definitely still need agree. my
0: mommy yeah, <laughs> I know. on a regular basis. Um. Okay. So for folks like me with the little ones at home, my, he- my son, little man, is two and a half years old now. When is it appropriate to start talking about some of these topics and like essentially just how do I start instilling good values in him to recognize and be respectful of strong women, if I even worded that correctly? <laughs> like, yeah. Em- well, I want a son that embraces feminism and, and right. does, is not afraid to talk about these things. Um, mm-hmm. But he's two and a half. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, Julie and I, when we meet with like PTA groups or parenting groups to talk about sort of the intro to our class, one of the things we talk about is starting to introduce that idea of consent at a very young age. And I think it really does start before we have that sort of shift into where as adults we tend to think about consent only along like that sexual line. Consent is more than that. It really is checking with our kids about what is okay and not okay for them and themselves, their bodies, their person. Right. And so starting some of those pieces very young is really helpful of actually checking in with them. You know, Hey, can I give you a hug right now? It looks like you're a little bit sad or is it okay if, you know um, you know, grandma asked if you can sit on there their left, do you want to go do that? You know, can I put your picture? up uh, for my friends so that they can see it. You know, and I think starting to have those conversations when they're small is really building in that opportunity for them to know that they can advocate for themselves at any time. It doesn't have to do only with the position of power between an adult and a child or one gender versus the other. Um, We really want to give them the opportunity to always start advocating for themselves and whether they feel okay or not okay in whatever that situation is.
2: Right. And that, plays a role in future romantic and sexual relationships, but also in um, protecting them from child abuse, mm-hmm. you know, because when we teach kids, if any of ad- you have to do what any adult says, no matter what, you don't have to listen to your body. You know, That can be really dangerous, but to teach them and start creating that culture of consent early on as much as you can. I mean, believe me, I've created a monster with my kid. Um, I don't consent to doing my chores. I'm like, <laughs> not a thing
1: okay oh yes oh yes (laughs) you know here I am with
2: my teach consent you know I'm all about consent you know so be careful don't create any monsters um but yeah (laughs) absolutely um uh, Leanne you probably haven't seen my kid online in over a year because I'm not allowed to post any pictures on social media which breaks my heart um but you know I'm respecting that as hard as it is to not do that and you know in a classroom setting it's saying hey is it okay if um, I read this poem that you wrote to the class or I submit it to this competition you know teachers think they know what's best for students and they may say oh but it's really it's a really talented kid and I want to make sure that they get this scholarship and I submitted it you know but not asking consent you know so we really want to create those cultures of consent Um, And that's something you could do early on with your kid.
3: And I think the second piece then is empathy. You know, getting your son and our children to start thinking about how not only it affects themselves, but those people around them, I think is a huge part of getting them to just recognize that there's an inequality and then sort of that just care and support of others around us. And that starts when they're little too, Of you know, let's, let's do this because it might make your brother or sister feel good, or it might help us, you know, get the house cleaned faster. Like it's a joining of uh, forces in a lot of places. And helping them step out of themselves and thinking about how somebody else sees something is a really great way that you can start in little tiny ways at, you know, very young ages when they're toddlers and then bring that up in level as they grow older to help them see, you know, as they get into middle school and they're, they're getting to fights with their best friend or they're, you know, into high school and actually, you know, dating and thinking about how it might affect if like. Maybe I'm dating my best friend's ex at that time. Like those kind of conversations to start thinking about that empathy part of things um, really starts becoming important because then if we empathize with people, we can see that they are like us no matter, you know, how different they
0: might be in other ways. That's awesome. Let me see if there were any other questions. Kurt, I'm not seeing any more questions on my agenda than I was itching to ask. Did you have anything else you wanted to ask?
1: Um, You know, I learned so much from you ladies. Um, This is really helpful. Um, Definitely a different way to look at things. You know, Julie, it was interesting. It just, it hit me. A a point of contention with Babs and I often is, you know, social media, because I have quite a social media presence with my, with my business and now with the podcast. And um, I do realize I need to respect that more. I get really frustrated because it'll be a beautiful picture of both of us or of her and it's like, I want to post this. And she's like, no, no. And I'm like, what do you mean? You don't like any of your pictures. This is perfect. And you know, she will let me post some. And um, you know, I, I posted one that I wasn't supposed to <laughs> the other day and I had to uh, course correct right away. It wasn't pretty. Um, but yeah, that gave me something to think about. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, there, you know, there can be some things in there. I did let my kid know, like, we're going on a family vacation. I'm going to need pictures of you, you know. Um, I don't have to post it, but, can you know, I need at least five pictures during that we're at the beach, right, because we're going to need something. So I think there's all, always some boundaries, but also, cons- you know, consent within that, you know. I think you had a question about bedrooms and boys.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh. I mean, um, I guess that kind of we, falls in line with values, right? How do we instill uh, values or talk to them about that without like making them feel like, oh, we're shaming you. Um, so, yeah, when they're teenagers, how do you navigate, you know, boyfriends and girlfriends and closed bedroom doors? and things Hello like that? time,
1: <laughs> etc. Um
0: Yeah, dating. I, I don't yes. want to. I'm just hoping he'll be. A monk or something.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: that's cute. I think we all <laughs> think, yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's important. You said just a couple minutes ago, Kurt, that like this is just such a new way to. Th- see things and think about things. And that's true. I think, you know, we're all learning. Julie and I are learning as parents. And then we have this sort of added piece of helping our clients through things and learning along the way too. And I think that's such an important part of being a parent is to be flexible enough that you know that there are still things to learn yourself and that not everything's going to be perfect. It's going to take those course corrections and be able to say like, you know what, you know, I I told you this last week, but I know that I've been thinking about it more and I just really need to make some changes to this. Um, And be comfortable with that, like kind of owning the fact that you don't have all the answers right away all the time. And that's when we're talking about how to deal with dating um, and you know being enclosed behind closed doors with one another, I think it comes back to again that communication element. Have you talked with them about what consent looks like and what, you know, your either concerns or worries are, because you know, I think things only keep getting more and more complicated in our society as we're talking about kids who have different sexual orientations and different gender identities. And, you know, if you have just a blanket rule that you know, X gender can't be in your room. How does that work out as we start to evolve into this place where we might, you know, have different sexualities or different um, like people that we like that maybe don't fall into that category that we've assumed Mm -hmm. from the beginning. And instead, if we take that approach of just talking with our kids and helping to build in some idea of what consent and what trust looks like and, you know, why we want to help them stay safe in situations, then we are putting that back in their hands and saying, you know what, I trust you to be with friends in your room, but that means I trust you on all these levels at once, you know, that you're not going to get into some kind of situation that doesn't feel safe. And if you do, you're going to come and talk with me about it or help advocate for yourself if some of that does start to come up. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. And in that open communication, you know, my kid um, identifies as non-binary. And all of the kids in their group, um, you know, are on the spectrum sexually and with gender or gender as well. So it's so complicated because we may have a child that identifies as a male spend the night. <laughs> it's all complicated. So being able to have those conversations, you know, who's dating who. Um, if we've had slumber parties, so you have all of all of these kids in one room and it's like who's sleeping where? Who's dating who? you know, and having these conversations and that trust, because it isn't just this easy thing that maybe we did growing up where you couldn't have a boy or a girl in your bedroom, (laughs) you know, and with Kurt, I'm sure you've had different experiences yourself. So it is that communication. And it might be okay to just be like, hey, close the door with friends in our room. Period. You know, I mean, it's OK to have rules, but I think opening those lines of communication, explaining what your concerns are and making sure that you are open to, to different things. You know, I mean, for me, in a perfect world, no kid would ever have to come out as gay. It would just be, you know, just breaking down the heteronormative <laughs> rules. Right. You know, Y'all we can't see this, but Kurt's doing a happy dance. Kurt's dancing, <laughs> yeah. right? I'm dancing too, right? So, you know, one of the things Angela and I talk uh, to parents about is not having that heteronormative language and not assuming that all kids are straight until you hear otherwise, not assuming people's pronouns, you know, and to ask those questions and respect that and know that kids are figuring things out. And absolutely, kids know who they like at a young age. I hate that response of, well, how would a elementary kids know that they're gay. I'm like, when did you know you were straight? Second grade. Uh, yeah. So powerful. kids know these things and society is changing and to be able to support that and keep those lines of communication open with all kids is so important. And, you know, I want my house to be the house where kids feel safe coming to. And to create that means I need to be open and honest, and non-judgmental, and not shocked. because kids are going to shock you, no matter how open-minded you are. Oh my god, they're going <laughs> to come up with some stuff, you know. <laughs> so just stay calm, keep breathing.
1: <laughs> calm ah, <friends. laughs> yes, yes, um, and I'm glad you remembered that question. Thank you. You know, one last thing that came to mind on my end. I, I know that I wanted to ask social media and pictures that our teens are posting. Um, we. <laughs> it's, how do I word this? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Bab and I disagree. I mean, she's been pretty good about it, but let's just say she looks much older in some of her pictures and I'm like, I don't know, as long as she feels confident and you know, what's appropriate, what's not, is that just uh, what's, uh, our, what's appropriate within our family? How do I determine that? She thinks something's appropriate. I don't. Yeah. Where do we go from here?
3: <laughs> so have you talked with her about um, the privacy settings on her social media? Because I think that that's a good place to start. You know, are these just pictures she's sharing with her friends because she thinks that these are like really cool, good pictures of herself? You know, then it becomes a confidence piece. And But is this something that somebody else could see? Um, you know, I think that you know, the more opportunity for public exposure in those things, the more, you know, you might have to help kind of cultivate what's appropriate and not appropriate in that way, but also remind our kids, like even if your settings are private, your friend could screenshot that and share it out with people that you are not aware that, you know, they're going to see it. And so really keeping in mind that like, even with privacy settings on the internet, nothing's completely private (laughs) in this day and age, you know, those things can get screenshotted and shared anywhere. And so, you know, in some of the same conversations that, you know, you're allowing her to have with you about what goes on your social media, if it involves her, I think there maybe needs to be sort of an open flow of communication both way that if you have concerns about something on her social media, I mean, ultimately it does reflect somewhat back on you too, Kurt, because that, you know, this is a person tied to you and you have a social media presence and a business and a life as well. so having some kind of conversation too that says, you know, if there are things that I just don't feel appropriate in the same way, if you feel there are things that you don't want to on my social media, I think we need to talk about how do we, you know, reach that consensus of what comes down.
1: What if you both think appropriate, have different definitions of appropriates? Um, does it come down to I'm the parent and I set the role with that? Um, <laughs> you know. <laughs> You know, you've asked it
3: all. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think that sometimes there might be where you know if you've given the reason hey this is not appropriate because of this this is my concern with it I really need you to take it down and she's just adamant about it I mean it may have to come down to this just has to be a parent teaching moment and I really do need you to just take this down because quite honestly you know when we talked about assessing safety in situations if you are forcing her to take off a picture on the you know that's on social media that's in no way going to have a major impact on her life other than and she's just kind of upset about uh-huh. it. Um, and so, you know, to, to err on the side of, of, you know, saying, Hey, I, I think I just know a little bit more about this certain situation and we yeah. need this to happen, I think is, is fair in that realm, you know, and if you're not telling her to, you know, delete every copy of that picture everywhere. If she uh-huh. wants to have it on her personal device, that might be one thing. Um, but, you know, to, you know, you give the teaching piece if she pushes back and she's just not ready to do that, then to, you know, kind of assert a boundary there. I think that's okay. Yeah, th- kids need th- those boundaries to feel safe as much as they mm. push against them.
2: They need us to set what those boundaries are and they're going to push and push and push and call you names and say, you're not cool. And you don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> you know, but that's how we keep <laughs> our kids safe. You know?
1: It's so refreshing to hear that. Thank you. Um, it really is. Unfortunately, we haven't gotten to that point, you know, with anything like that. I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah. Nowadays,
0: everybody accuses you of crushing your child's spirit, you know, with mm-hmm. any no that you tell them. And, and uh, it's getting yeah. even harder and harder to navigate, you know, where you draw the uh, line. You know, I'm the parent and you're the child. At the end of the day, if you want to do this, you can get a job and go. Pay your own bills. (laughs) At least that's what my mom always told me. (laughs) Well, ladies, I want you to plug your business. Plug away. Tell us about any upcoming webinars or workshops or anything that you want people to know about that they could sign up for online, where they would go to do that, if you have a social media presence, what your handle is, and all that good stuff. Cool.
2: Yes. I'm planning on doing um, a course for women called Living Without Apology." this fall. I did it last fall and I think I'm going to be able to do it virtually this time. So again, it's worldwide. Um, <laughs> and you can find out more on my Facebook page, which is Julie Spears LCSW, or on my website, which is juliespearslcsw.com. Um,
3: yeah. um, and my website is talktherapyaustin.com. Um, And I have some upcoming classes that I'm planning. Um, I run one in the spring that's on connection and how to both build and foster connection throughout all areas of our life, whether that's our relationships, our, you know, communication, and now, you know, connection is so much more important than ever because we're missing a big chunk of that all the time by being in quarantine. Um, and then Julie and I are also planning, we're right now getting, you know, names and information on people that are interested in an online sexual education piece um, for our What's the Buzz um you know, sexual health education. And so that is also, um, you can get to that as a link off of my website, talktherapyaustin.com. And then I'm on Facebook also as Talk Therapy ATX. And I have a, um, a therapy cat who has his own Instagram. He's Scruffy <laughs> the therapy cat. So oh my gosh. for Scruffy. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, I knew I liked you. You're a cat person. <laughs> yes we're big cat yes, people.
2: I have, so I, I have both cats and dogs, but only one of my pets, Sophie, um, the Bichon comes with me to work. So it's really cute because Sophie and Scruffy will sniff each other. And yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I love that. Yeah. So yeah. We, and
2: I, yeah, but I've been at home. So Scruffy and Sophie haven't been able to hang out mm-hmm. just and Angela haven't been able to hang out. I know.
0: <laughs> They're going to need therapy too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ladies, this has been so amazing. I really think this is going to help a lot of people. Oh, yes, well,
1: Thank Julia you so and- much.
2: You know, parenting these days, it's, you know, it's not black and white. And that's great. I think we're, we're learning so much and to be informed and intentional and, and asking all the questions. I mean, that's what makes a good parent. It's not doing... The quote, right thing all the time. It's stopping and reflecting. And that's what good parenting is. And I love that you guys are doing that. And because we've got to all learn
3: from each other because we're all learning and it's, it's not easy. Exactly. Thank you for bringing these topics up because they're, they're questions we all have as parents, but we don't always get the opportunity to discuss and learn from them too.
1: Yes. Julie and Angela, this has been incredible. Um, thank you so much. I'm glad we could all come together. And it, it was very helpful. I know for me, and I know a lot of our listeners are going to, um, really get value from this as well. I do believe.
0: And something tells me he's going to be like handing the phone to Babs and be like, listen to this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just may pop up on the phone this episode. <laughs> <There you go. laughs>
0: okay. Well, we'll say goodbye for now so y'all can get on with your day. Thank you so much for being generous with your time.
1: Thank you, ladies. Thank you all. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye. Take care. Bye. Take care.